Praise the Lord, everybody. It's good to see you this morning. We thank the Lord for uh, each and every one of you. We've been praying to God for you these last couple weeks as we started this journey talking about the blood of Jesus. It's so amazing when you think about the power that is in the blood. I've given you two of the most powerful words from God connected to your salvation. Two parts of this series already. If you miss them, you want to go back into the archives of the church uh, video um, library and you, you, you're going to want to listen to these. You're going to want to reach out and um, go to the website www.graceandmercyfc.com and look at the video player and go through the archives and uh, pull up this series, The Power of the Blood. You're going to want to really take some time and study this and understand what God is saying to us today. I'm not going to be before you long. I, I want to give you the, the final, the climactic, the third chapter, the third um, uh, part of this series and just allow the word to work in your life. Hallelujah. I just want to speak for a moment today, not only uh, what we've been talking about uh, related to the promise of the blood, and, and we've talked about the power of the blood, but there's something that you have to realize about the blood that sometimes we miss, and that is the preciousness of the blood. You have to ask yourself sometimes the question, what's your attitude towards the blood. You know, some people hate the blood. They think that, you know, when we as believers talk about the blood of Jesus, we're just all crazy, blood-hungry, um, you know, cannibalistic type of people. They even equate uh, communion to cannibalism, that we're promoting drinking blood and, and uh, eating the flesh. They, they, they do this because they hate it. The devil himself hates it. As a matter of fact, if the devil had his way, I'm sure I wouldn't be preaching this message today. I wouldn't have engaged in this series this last few weeks. Do you remember when Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross and he had a conversation about going to the cross with his disciples? And during that conversation, Simon Peter who some people believe is the first pope or say was the real first pope of the church, came up and he grabbed a hold of Jesus's lapels and uh, looked at Jesus, making eyeball to eyeball contact with Jesus. And he you know, makes this declaration, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not happen to you. That's in Matthew 16 and 22. Do you remember what Jesus said back to him? Jesus looked at Simon Peter and he makes this statement. Get thee hence, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Oh Lord, Matthew 16 and 23. Now I want you to see the detail inside a detail. There's a lesson inside this lesson, something that you really ought to 
pay attention to and take note of that's really important, but many of us miss it. Who's Jesus talking to? Jesus was speaking physically to Simon Peter, but he wasn't talking to Simon Peter. We also know that Simon Peter was not the devil, but Jesus was talking to the devil. Jesus was speaking to the devil because the devil is the source of all theology that is against the theology of God. The very one who put that idea in the mind of Simon Peter. And I bet you Simon thought, oh, what I'm saying or what I'm doing is a good thing. It sounds good. I'm coming to my Lord's defense. I'm, I'm not going to let his life be taken or uh, not even understanding that the life of Christ was never taken in the first place, but it was laid down. There's a difference between the two. And we can learn a real valuable lesson here. I have a friend at work who loves to stir the pot. Maybe you know some people that love to stir the pot as well. They just sit back and watch the fallout from what they started. It's almost a craft because the involved people don't even realize that they have become the pawns of the pot stirrer. But that pot stirrer will get in there, say a couple things to one person, say a couple things to another person, and before long, those two people are going to blows. You've seen it. I'm, some of you might be that pot stirrer. You know, that one that's always drumming something up. But this is what the devil does. The devil loves to get two believers in a fight, and then he just stands off in the background and just chuckles, having a good old time. He loves to have flesh and blood wrestling against flesh and blood, because as long as your flesh and blood is wrestling against flesh and blood, it cannot wrestle against the principalities or the powers or the spirits of wickedness in high places, you cannot wage war there. But right there, the devil wanted Jesus and Simon, Peter, to get into an argument. Just like many of us have issues that come up between us in church. You've seen it throughout the years in church. One believer, mad, having an attitude, ready to go to blows. Matter of fact, it happens so much, we've coined a phrase in the church, I'm going to put my salvation on the shelf while I deal with you in myself. I dare tell you, there's some issues that we have and don't even realize what the source of those issues are. You keep believing it's the other person and miss the power behind the whole thing in the first place. I dare you tell me what I said ain't going to happen. Well, I dare you call me the devil. And that's right when the chairs start flying in the church. Matter of fact, you've seen it in YouTube videos. Blows my mind. People in the church fighting with one another coming to physical blows, verbal blows, even 
believer against believer, bringing violence that ends in death. But Jesus was much smarter. Jesus knew we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You see, he reads his word because he is the word. Ephesians 6 and 12. Jesus looked beyond Simon Peter to the one who inspired Simon Peter, even though Simon Peter didn't realize he was being influenced in the first place. You know, Peter was a true devoted believer. It's important that you see this, especially all of you who think you have all this anointing, you have so much anointing that you can't get it twisted in your own thoughts. Here's Peter, the one to whom God said upon this rock, I will build the church. And I know we talk about that in Bible study, um, but I want you to, to see the importance that Jesus was uh, giving to Peter, believed to be that first pope of the church. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Think for a moment about that. And then think about us. Rather than getting mad at our brothers and sisters who hurt our feelings, if we just prayed against the devil and resisted him when these things would come up. I mean, if we could really look beyond the tool and see the power trying to manipulate that tool. It's not your neighbor's cantankerous spirit. It's the devil you'd better be praying against. And I know some of you right now are already getting frustrated. And sometimes prayer is best said silently. I can hear it now. Oh, Bishop said, uh, when you say something that gets on my nerves or I, you cause me to have an attitude with you, it's the devil. So I'm going to call you the devil and, and pray against you right now. As Bishop said, pray against the devil. I'm going to pray against that devil that's in you. That's not what I'm saying. You have to understand from whence the instigation has come and deal with the source of the instigation, not the unfortunate victims of the instigation. While I'm on this road, let me clear something else up. The word of God in Ephesians 4, 26 through 27 says, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath and give place to the devil. You know, you go to bed with an obstinate spirit and the devil's got egress and ingress into your soul. As a matter of fact, you just unlocked the doors, turned off the alarms and rolled out the red carpet for the devil to waltz right on in with glam and glitter. But we understand that not everything that sparkles is a diamond. And when he gets in there, he's going to do everything that he can to cause all kinds of mischief and trouble in your life. Well, let me, let me detour back to where I started. The devil hates the blood. For all of you in the balcony, let me just say it one more time, a little bit louder and a little bit prouder. The devil hates the blood. Jesus, you're not going to the cross. That's satanic. As a matter of fact, there are two things the devil hates. Number one, it's not your neighbor. Number one, it's the law of God. And we can see this 
from the very beginning, Genesis 3 and 4. You shall not surely die. He challenges immediately in the conversation with Eve about the uh, result of eating of the forbidden tree. You're not going to die. That's the law of God. He's fighting against the law of God. Number two is the blood of Jesus. He gets Peter to the point where Peter is now speaking against the blood, the power of the blood by saying, you're, you're not going to go to that cross. I'm not going to let it happen. The devil's always going to hate those things. But I tell you that there is punishment for sin and there's pardon for sin. And the devil doesn't want you to believe either one of those. He hates the blood of Christ. The devil hates it and people scoff at it. The Bible mentions in Hebrews 10 and 29 that those who count the blood of the covenant wherewith they are sanctified an unholy thing. They make fun of the blood of, of Jesus. They trample under their feet the blood of Christ. Matter of fact, when we're talking about the blood upon the doorpost, if you remember uh, as uh, Israel got ready for the exodus out of Egypt, the word of the Lord came and told them to put the blood upon the lentil. That's the part of the door that is above the doorframe or the top part of the doorframe. And there was blood that was supposed to be placed on the doorpost. That's on each side. That's the, the sides of the door that the door hangs on and is secured by. But there was never a direction for the blood to be placed on the threshold. You know why? Because the blood of Jesus is not to be walked on. It's, it's to go out. It's to go out under. You, you, you walk out the door and you walk under the lentil or the top part of the doorpost. You walk between the doorposts. But the blood of Jesus is never to be trampled beneath your feet. I heard it said once, the blood of Jesus Christ was no more efficacious to cleanse from sin when it was shed on the accursed tree than when it flowed through his veins. Now the author of this, uh, of this uh, statement has trodden the blood of Jesus in their own words, it's blasphemy what they've declared. There are people like this who scoff at the blood, who hate the blood. As a matter of fact, there are even modernistic preachers in pulpits across America today who call what we preach a slaughterhouse religion. But I warn you, God Almighty has said, without the shedding of the blood, there is no remission of sin. Hebrews 9 and 22, you ought to know the word. But there are those who hate it. There are those who will scoff at it. There are those who, who think it's foolish. And that's okay because the Bible tells me in 1 Corinthians 1 and 18, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. As a matter of fact, they laugh. Now you can laugh your way right into hell. But once you're there, you won't laugh your way out. You can laugh if you want. You can scoff at it if you want. That's your free will, but your will will lead you to a destination. A man asked me uh, once 
about the preaching of the blood of Jesus and how it seemed crazy. And I told him, I reminded him that to those that perish, it is foolishness. It seems crazy. It seems like we're all a little bit off. But unto us who are saved, it is the power of God. Oh, hallelujah. Other people will just ignore the blood. They don't just fight it. They ignore it. They pretend like it doesn't exist. Let me give you a scenario, kind of how I picture how things are going. As I'm reading the word of God, I'm a visual learner. And I like to read the scripture and visualize in my own thoughts what it is that the word is saying. Can you imagine the son of Pharaoh coming to him the night of the Passover and saying, hey, dad, do you know what Moses is saying? Moses is going up and down all the streets of Egypt and telling people that they better get a lamb and put that blood of that lamb on their doorpost. He said that if they don't do it, the firstborn of every family is going to die. And come to think of it, Pop, I'm your firstborn son. If you don't mind, I'd like for us to go out and get one of them lambs tonight and put it on our doorpost. I want you to imagine Pharaoh's response and how it's so keenly connected to the response of modern-day America. Listen, we've got the best priest money can buy. We have our own religion. We have our own gods. It's been in place for thousands of years. And besides that, you're going to sleep in a well-guarded room tonight. Don't you get worried about that blood of the lamb stuff that that fanatic Moses is preaching about. I don't want you going down to that church and hearing Moses preach anymore about the blood of the lamb and getting yourself all upset and worried about the impending coming of death. I don't want you thinking about this coming again of, of Jesus to rapture the church. Nonsense, foolishness. I don't want you to think about all this stuff that those zealots are talking about who just harbor hate in their heart against anyone that's not like them. Sound crazy, right? But in this enlightened world, we have parents who tell their children just about that exact same thing. I don't want you going down there to that church and having them tell you that you got to come to Jesus to get saved. We got our own religion. We've been vegetarians for a long time and we don't need anyone telling us we don't need meat to live. What we have is fine enough. We don't need that blood nonsense. But you know, that night when the death angel came, there was a flash, a shriek, a gasp, a cry went out in Egypt because the son of Pharaoh and all the firstborn in the land had died. Because without the shedding of the blood, there is no remission of sin. I came here today to tell you in this final climactic event, you cannot get around the blood. You can't go under the blood. You can't go over the blood. And you won't blow right through the blood. It is what it is. If you want to get to heaven one day, you got to go through the blood. I believe in the blood. 
It's the blood that saved me. It's the blood that washed me. When the blood got finished cleaning me up, I came out as white as pure snow. Because of the blood, I can declare, I am not only the redeemed of the Lord, but you can touch me because I'm clean. I'm not that charming clean that they talk about. I'm blood clean. I'm blood bought. I'm blood washed. And I'm blood clean. Oh, I wish that there were some redeemed believers out there that understood the power of the blood. You'd be running around your house right now. You'd be running around your church right now. You'd be running around your neighborhood right now. And you'd be declaring, I'm clean. I'm clean. I'm clean. Because I've been washed in the blood. Because if you're not washed in the blood, there's no remission of sin. But right here, right now, today, you could be washed in the blood. You can realize that everything that I've been talking about these last three weeks is something that is vital to your eternal destination. And you want to spend eternity with Jesus in a place where there's neither sunset nor dawning, in a place where there is no sorrow, in a place where there's joy forevermore, in a place where there's no evil, there's no violence, there's no sickness, there's no death. You can go to that place that can be your final resting place. Some think that their final resting place is the grave. But there's coming a day. You're going to find out and realize that the grave is not the final place of your destination. It's just the doorway for you to go to your destination. The grave is not the end. It's the access to your eternal existence, to the separation of your flesh, your corruptible from your incorruption, your mortal from your immortality. You don't want to spend eternity in damnation. You can spend it in utter joy and peace. All you have to do is just declare to God, I accept your son, Jesus, the only begotten of the Father. I believe he died and shed his blood on Calvary for me. I believe that he rose again. I believe he rose with all power. I believe that I am now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that my sins have become his and his righteousness has become mine. I accept the death, burial, and resurrection and Jesus is my Lord. If you say this, you make this declaration, you believe it in your heart, you are now the redeemed of the Lord in everything 
that was leading you to separation from God has been removed. And now you're headed to unity with Christ forever. What a great God we serve. God bless you. Heaven smile upon you. Know that I love you and I'm praying for you. But God loves you best. Have a blessed Sunday.